0: We going to have our bible reading now.
1: Our first bible reading this morning is Psalm 19 and you can find it on page 552 of the Pew Bibles. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom, Coming forth from his pavilion Like a champion rejoicing to run his course It rises at one end of the heavens And makes its circuit to the other Nothing is hidden from its heat The law of the Lord is perfect Reviving the soul The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy Making wise the simple They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And our gospel reading is taken from John's Gospel, chapter 1. Beginning at verse 1, and you can find it on page 1063 of the Pew Bibles. The Word became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Well good morning everybody, it's great uh, to be with you again, um, I've always enjoyed coming to St. Juan's and I felt uh, I had to make it one of the seven churches that I would visit to celebrate our Jubilee, which began in uh, September 24, uh, 1967 in a little church in Fairham, just west of Portsmouth. I didn't go in it again until I went back with Mary uh, two months ago. And they were very welcoming, uh, as we enjoyed again to see. I could hardly remember what the church looked like, because I hadn't been in it for 50 years. And then since that time, we've been traveling the different churches that we served. We didn't go to Durban, unfortunately, uh, because it was a bit of a distance. So we sent a message there. But in the case of all the others we've been, we've included Brussels, and we're delighted to welcome two of our dear friends from Brussels today. They've come all the way to Jersey, though they have lived in Tunbridge more recently, and uh, we're glad to have them, and so glad to be with you. And so it was a most fitting word, solely Deo Gloria, for us to be able to come and share with you today. To God be the glory. Now, it's not always easy, I thought to myself, when I do a message like this, to hold a congregation. And uh, I don't want it to be a lecture. It has to be a sermon. And it has to be a sermon which glorifies God and really brings out that whole theme of glory, which we've often used with our lips, but perhaps never really defined it in our minds. It's what it really means. So I hope... One of our objectives today is to be able to draw it out. And the way I thought I'd draw it out would be to look at what the psalmist says and then the witness of Moses and Solomon and Isaiah and then finally what Jesus himself said. So let's look briefly first at the psalmist who proclaims the glory of God. And you all heard that wonderful... um, psalm that Rosemary read a moment ago, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And even as we were coming uh, in, the, in the plane here on Friday, uh, we were above the clouds and the clouds looked like kind of cotton wool mountains. It's a magnificent sight, you almost want to throw yourself into them, thinking they'll catch you. Uh, they're very, very beautiful And we're a generation which has been able to see what other generations have never seen. And I think we're incredibly privileged Uh, when you think of all the many David Attenborough programs that I'm sure everybody here has seen from time to time. The magnificence of the colors. Imagine if we'd only been able to see in black and white. Imagine what it would have been, you know, television old Fergus like Brown and I would have seen years and years ago. It was only black and white. It wasn't the same thing. But when color came in, transformed it. Absolutely transformed it. And we are just privileged. And I was thinking of oh, those lovely words from that lovely hymn, Love with Everlasting Love. Heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue. Christless eyes have never seen. You see, it's terribly important that when you see this beauty, you look behind it and see who's behind it. So often, uh, when you see it on television, they don't say who's behind it. They don't say that, do they? But there's somebody behind it. And it's the God we worship and proclaim his glory, as the psalmist says. The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. So we see his power in all this, his creative and redemptive activity which drew out in the psalm, his word flawless, his character dependable, his laws just, his reputation exemplary. His word refreshes the inner man, makes the simple wise, brings joy to the heart, sheds light, on how we should live our lives. His word is more desirable, said the Bible, the Psalm, than the finest gold and the choicest honey. It's better than anything we can buy. And even if you had $450 million in your pocket to buy that Leonardo da Vinci picture of Christ, the Bible says you would not be as well off as the man who has wisdom and understanding because they are of greater value. What a message in this topsy-turvy world, isn't it? So you have 450 million pounds in your dollars in your pocket, but somebody else has wind, wisdom and understanding, that person with that godly wisdom and understanding is richer than you are. That's what the Bible says, not me. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. So the Psalms, and I could, obviously I could have quoted many, but you can't draw them all out, they proclaim the glory of God, don't they? So there's the first thought to concentrate your minds. The second thought is Moses' Solomon Isaiah extol his glory. Moses' whole testimony was wrapped up in God's glory. The glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud, you'll remember, that guided the people as they went through the wilderness. Moses saw God's glory on Mount Sinai, and his glory appeared to the Israelites like a consuming fire. His glory filled the tabernacle. I was sort of pondering this as I thought, and I wonder what it looked like. And I talked to a friend of mine, he talked to me about Jack Hayford, who was the, the man who wrote that wonderful chorus, Majesty, which was an inspired chorus. And Jack Hayford, who was a minister in a Los Angeles church, they had an experience, they were... Praying, I'll note this very carefully, everybody. They were doing a huge amount of prayer, much prayer in this church. And one day they sensed an overwhelming sense of God's presence and a kind of golden haze in the church. And they felt, almost felt, his glory. His glory. And I wonder sometimes when the, when the Israelites were in the, in the tabernacle, they, they kind of sensed it. They felt it. It was warm, special. They couldn't forget it. God's glory. But not only Moses felt God's glory, Solomon felt it. Solomon, Jesus said, in all his glory, do you remember his wisdom, his pomp, his power, was not arrayed like a lovely little lily in the field those little lilies in the fields and the flowers and the beautiful things that you see in in gardens and the mountains and all that. Solomon's glory faded. You know, human glory fades. It's a fact of life. But not God's glory. And Solomon felt it, saw it, experienced it when the temple was opened up in uh, about 950 BC when Solomon finished praying again notice that always comes frequently always perhaps at the end of prayer prayer is terribly important and at the end of that prayer time when he finished praying fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple I don't know. They felt it. They saw it in some way. Perhaps it was this glow. Perhaps it was like a fire. I don't know. But they felt it. They knew it was there. Terribly important. God revealing his glory to Israel. So significant in the Old Testament. And only to the Jews did he reveal his glory. Nobody else. Only to the Jews. And I was trying again to understand what it might have been about. And you know, I often think of those moments when you go to the Messiah and there's a wonderful choir and an amazing number of people, and then it comes to the Hallelujah chorus. And as the chorus strikes up, everybody has to stand. You have to to acknowledge not only the mastery of the composer, but the amazing wonder of the one on whom that chorus is focused: Jesus. And everybody is caught up. I don't think I know of anything where people are so caught up as when the Hallelujah Chorus is being sung. Everybody thinks you're in the vestibule of heaven. It's almost heaven. There's this choir singing without a note out of place. And all of us caught up in it. It's amazing. I'm sure many people have been converted to Christ on the spot. It is so special. Glory everybody compelled to stand in awe, you see, focused on this great moment. Well, now, not only did um, Moses and Solomon experience it, but also Isaiah, the greatest of the writing prophets. It's very important to note, of course, when Isaiah actually had this experience, it was an experience when King Azar died. Now, that's very important to notice because we know that King Azar lived for uh, for a 50-year reign. And 50 years is a long time. And he died. And there were many, many people who'd lived all their lives in Azar's reign. And Azar was probably one of them. And it was a terrible moment, Uh, I suggest to you, that uh, when the moment comes when we lose our queen, there will be a huge sense of loss in the whole nation. We will feel it because of the stability she's brought. And Azar brought the same kind of stability. And stability is terribly important. And it was at that moment, Azar said, I've got to go to the temple. And he went to the temple, and when he got to the temple, he saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, and they were all calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. And then Isaiah felt what a terrible man he was. He said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amidst a people of unclean lips. And I've seen the Lord of hosts, the King of glory. And as you remember, God came and cleansed him. And he went through the three things that every one of us has to go through. First of all, he was cleansed. Secondly, he was forgiven. And thirdly, he was commissioned. And all of us need to remember and to understand that if we are to be really effective men and women for Christ, we've got to go through those three experiences. We've got to go through the cleansing. We've got to go through forgiveness to be forgiven. And then we've got to be commissioned. Now I wonder, let's look at everybody. Just think about yourself. Have you been cleansed? Has Jesus washed you away, washed your sin away? Jesus, have mercy on me and mean it. Have you been forgiven? Jesus says, I forgive you. Have you been commissioned? You know, I think there are so many people today in pews who perhaps don't think of that third bit. All of us are commissioned to be men and women of God and to go out into the world, out there, commissioned. Whom will I send and who will go for us? Then said Isaiah, here am I. Send me. I was reading in the Telegraph yesterday about the missionaries who lost their fellow missionary who was shot dead in Nigeria. Most of you would have read it. And this couple had a very comfortable life in Cambridge. He's a doctor and his wife. And um, they came to realize that their commitment to Christ was watery. And they decided to give everything up. They sold their house, took their children out of private school and put them into government schooling. And then... Called, took out a missionary role in Nigeria. They had a fresh commissioning. They had a fresh insight, like Isaiah had that fresh insight. And something happened. He was commissioned afresh, and God was able to say, Who shall we send? Who will go for us? I think it's well worth challenging ourselves afresh as we go through our lives. Does God want me to be this all my life? Am I to work in the local bank or the local supermarket or wherever it is we work? Or is it that going to be all my... Or could he call me to something else? Maybe he could. We never know, do we? The world of it was the moment of truth. I think we need always everybody to be open to the Spirit. You must never close the doors of your heart and say, this is what the Lord wants me to do. I'll do this for the rest of my life. No. Every day we come before God in Bible study and prayer, and we say, now, Lord, what do you want me to do today? Terribly important. That's what Isaiah did. So here we have this wonderful uh, witness of, of, of Moses, and we have the witness of Solomon, and we have the witness of Isaiah. We have the witness of the psalmist. And then, thirdly, we have Jesus himself. He proclaimed his glory. You see, until God shines in his light in our hearts, we are trapped sinners. And I was listening to the television or watching the television a few days ago, and uh, we heard about Rachlo Mladic. I never know how to say his name. He was the man who was condemned, he was a Serbian commander and he had a dark heart and he was convicted and sentenced as you heard last Wednesday he was a terrible example of someone who hardens his heart and then fills it with hatred and there's no knowing what the devil can do with a man like that Now, none of us thank God have fallen into that but we all have dark hearts that need opening up and God needs to let His light shine into our hearts. That lovely verse of, of, um, of Paul. Let light, let, for God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. What do we want is as we meet with Jesus day by day, so His glory, His light reflects on our faces. As we meet him, as we meet Jesus, so we pray that that light in him begins to shine on our own faces, coming more and more like him, going from one degree of glory to another as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. A glory that would never fade. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Sometimes, of course, we talk about human glory. We say that so-and-so was covered in glory, don't we? Something's happened, they've won something. We saw it on television with Jana Novotna, who died last week, the tennis player, And uh, how sad she was on two years running, she lost Wimbledon. But then the third year she won. Full of glory. But it fades, everybody. Every human glory fades. Fades as it goes further and further into the distance. Fades and fades away. Only the glory of Jesus lasts. I'd much rather have Jesus' glory than fading glory. Poor old Moses, you know, when he came down from the mountain. His face was radiant, we read. But he had to put a veil over his face because he didn't want the Israelites to see all that glory fading, fading, fading. But not with Jesus. We beheld his glory. And I'm reminded of dear old Simeon. I love old Simeon in the temple. That old man. I suppose, Brown, you and I are more and more sort of associating ourselves with the old man. And um, there he comes into the temple. And babies have been coming in all the time, you know, and for dedication. And then one special one comes in. Uh, Simeon, how did you pick him out? How, did, how How did you know? Oh, he said, I saw the inner glory. I saw the inner glory. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all your people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. He recognized him. Ah, now you know, Sometimes I have uh, trouble recognising people. It's, uh, when you get to my huge age, uh, you sort of um, look back and meet people you haven't seen for 50 years, and you don't always recognise them. It's frightfully embarrassing sometimes when they come and say, Nigel, how good to see you. They probably say that whether they actually mean it. And I am awfully sorry. i Not quite sure who you are. I cannot recognize. See, recognition is is terribly, terribly important. But there's nothing more important than recognizing Christ. And that's what our society is not doing anymore. It's not recognizing Christ. And the result is disastrous in this country. It's disastrous. What has happened in this country is a disaster. A spiritual disaster has happened in this nation. But old Simeon recognized him because he was tuned in to him. As was old Anna in the temple when she, you know, widowed for donkey's years. She, she came, gave God thanks and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She saw the inner glory, see. Jesus was full of inner glory. When Nathaniel met him, In that same chapter and he was introduced to jesus he said straight away rabbi you are the son of god you are the king of glory the king of israel he recognized him straight away john writes about um, when jesus turned the water into wine in john 2 He, The first of his miraculous uh, signs Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee, he thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. And again for Martha, when they were waiting for Lazarus to be raised from the dead, Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So you can get the whole perspective of glory. All kinds of different aspects of Jesus' life. We're, we're all in glory healing people, challenging those who opposed him, raising the dead, dying on a cross, teach, healing everything, not to mention his resurrection and ascension I suppose we often think of iconic people whether politicians uh, or actors, actresses sportsmen or just men and women of renowned being wonderful people But unlike Jesus, very often inside their lives are cesspools. Quite different. No, no. Jesus stands out because he had an inner glory. So, what is our response, everybody? We are being transformed into his his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And I think what we need to be saying to ourselves is quite simply this. As I get older, I want to get closer and closer to Jesus. That must be my daily one fundamental concern. That I get more like Jesus day by day. That must be our prayer. When uh, Martin Luther King... Uh, one of his finest and greatest speeches was shortly before he was assassinated but he ended the speech he said mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord waiting in expectation for that great moment when Jesus comes back when one day all of us will say glory be to Jesus you know it's going to be very very special So the more we become more like Jesus, the more we will see his glory. Well, we have to finish. We thank God for the witness of the psalmist, the witness of Moses and Solomon and Isaiah, and the fact that he revealed himself supremely in Jesus. Now we have to think, now what must be our response and I think there's no better John Stott um, most of you will have heard of him uh, died in 2011 but his last word to the church in 2007 was a little talk at Keswick the Keswick Convention and these wonderful little chorus he taught them like Jesus like Jesus I want to be like Jesus. I love him so. I want to grow like Jesus. I'm going to ask you to say that after me. And I would like to suggest, it's a very simple little chorus. You see, part of the Christian life is being childlike. Part of the Christian, (laughs) interesting, you often find that when you do a little child's talk, everybody's listening. When you give a sermon, they all kind of switch off. But when they do a child, there's a certain childlikeness in all of us. And it needs to be expressed in our Christian lives. So I'm going to do this very simple chorus with you, and I'm going to ask you to say it after me. And I'm going to ask you to pray it as a prayer. Because well, this is what I do nowadays when I finish sermons in all the different churches I serve in. And it's these words, like Jesus, like Jesus, I want to be like Jesus. I love him so, I want to grow like Jesus. So do this and say this after me, everybody, if you really mean it, and make it a prayer as you say it. Ready? Like Jesus, like Jesus. Like Jesus, like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I love him so. I love him so. I want to grow. I want to grow like Jesus. Now we'll say it together. Like Jesus. Like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I love him so. I want to grow like Jesus. And I'm going to round off with the magnificent part of psalm 19 and when i say the last line and in his temple all cry glory when i say and in his temple all cry everybody shout out glory okay ready the voice of the lord is over the waters the god of glory thunders the lord thunders over the mighty waters the voice of the lord is powerful the voice of the lord is majestic the voice of the lord breaks the cedars The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory.